All powers to the Lost people. African power. All, all powers to the people. African power to an African people. Uh, black power. This is your host, Yang and Krumah, national chairman, Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party. Thank everyone for being patient with me. It took me a minute to get on the line, man, dealing all of these numbers and things of that nature. You know how human uh, technicalities and error can be. Just going to do another show, bringing another show to you, the People's Black Panther Party, the People's Voice, People's Talk Radio. Want to hear from you, bringing another show, what's the end game and reaching the youth? What's the end game and reaching the youth? What do we mean by what's the end game? What's the end game? What are we looking for? Uh, my minister in justice and I were talking, you know, I'm up in doing strengthening the East Coast chapters, which I love. I love this Eastern region. I love the energy. I love how vibrant and enthusiastic all the membership is about getting things done, um, working on our um, economic initiative about getting these T-shirts out here and up and running, being able to do for self-support, self-industry, and teaching our young people and our older people about entrepreneurialism, about self-determination, about economic responsibility and accountability. So I'm I'm, I'm loving just so, so many facets and avenues that I have to work with um, up here in the Eastern Region chapter. But during a discussion she and I were having, we were talking about what is the end game? What's our end game? We were riding through Chinatown, and I'm going to end up posting that video a little bit later. And, you know, coming from Atlanta, where it's predominantly African or predominantly black, you, you know, you hear about nationalism. People talk about nationalism, talk about black unity. They talk about the culture and the social economics and black people living all in one spot. And in Atlanta, you actually have an opportunity to see that, what that looks like physically. But one of the, the biggest things that I drew from Atlanta and living in Atlanta was the uh, fact that it provided me, it afforded me the opportunity to see that it wasn't just a race issue as far as skin is concerned or as far as your ethnicity, but that it was really a mental, a psychological issue for us as African people. Here, like I say, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, with whom they uh, affectionately refer to, a lot of people refer to as the Black Mecca, Hotlanta. I call it Black Hollywood. I've never seen so many, so, so such flodging ass Negroes, colored folks in my life, fake phony brothers and sisters in my life. Uh, but they call it the Black Mecca. And it would give one the illusion that everything is all good. But going down there, we, I, started to deal with and a lot of my teachings in Atlanta and dealing with a lot of my comrades in Atlanta is on neo-colonialism, neo-colonialism, what we affectionately refer to in Atlanta as Uncle Tomism, where you got black faces in white places. I've never seen such a phenomena where you can't just holler down there, the white man, the white man, the white man, because it's that Negro in that judge robe that is giving black men and women a hundred years. It's that Negro with that gun and a badge in the police uh, when they pull you over that are murdering police. I mean, murdering um, innocent civilians. So you get to see firsthand the psychological damage done to African people. So we ask ourselves, what is the end game? What are we looking for? Like I said, to go back, I digressed a little bit. I got off point a little bit. Going through Chinatown, I saw the effects of black nationalism, Chinese nationalism, and Chinese unity. I saw that as we were riding through there, I didn't see a McDonald's. I didn't see a KFC. 
I saw businesses owned by Chinese people, ran by Chinese people, catering to Chinese people, operated by Chinese people, supported, and, and, and the patronage was Chinese people. The writing, the signs, the advertising, the billboards was all Chinese. And I was telling our Minister of Justice, because she had to drive through all that mess. Believe me, if you've ever driven in New York, you know what I'm talking about. My nerves were frazzled. She had to drive through all that mess. And I was telling her, look at this. This is what I'm talking about. And this is what our people don't get an opportunity to see. Really a vision of the end game. Really what we're trying to fight for. And how important our youth are to this struggle of ours the very vital role that our young people play that we're not engaging them enough or maybe we have to switch the tactic up to make it more appealing or more alluring, not even that, to really put in part on them the seriousness, how serious this is for their survival and their continuation. We're going to go right to the phone lines because you know how we get down. We want to hear from the people and allow the people to be involved so we'll go to um, straight to our phone lines here and get some get some comments and feedback. So we're going to go to five six two nine five eight six five six two nine five eight six. Your your mic is open. You're on the People's Black Panther Party. Uh, People's Talk. It's good. It's um. It's Alexander again. It's who? Alexander. Uh. How do you, my? Okay. Oh, it's good, brother. Hi, I'm Hi. Alexander. Hi. My mom is the minister of health. Yeah, absolutely. We know who you are, brother. Look, comrade Alexander, man. I'm glad that you had an opportunity to chime in. I was looking for you a little late. I know when you and I had spoke yesterday, you were saying that uh, you get home from school and you would definitely try to call in. So it's good that you called in. Brothers and sisters, we have our brother Alexander, a phenomenal young man. The young man had an opportunity to um, pitch his thing, and he's helping with us to really get – this is the important – this is the role of the youth. He's actually, I'm going to be honest, man, the chairman is an old head. Some of my central committee are older people. His mother, fabulous comrade of mine, national acting, national minister. Or should we, we're going to say deputy uh, national minister of health into that position becomes permanent, also acting as a very vital role as a minister of information, very valuable sister, Minister Khadija. But when we have the brother on the line, and the brother was pitching a YouTube channel and how this thing operates and what we would like to do and how we can go about it and how it would be beneficial to us, showing one of the aspects, one of the, just one of the many aspects and the importance of the youth because Man, we're at that age to where we're almost like Fred Flintstone with some of this stuff that they have out here at our the accessibility that we have to some of the social media and Internet stuff. And um, this young man is probably will be one of the, 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 the leaders in our young people coming in and taking up the reins. But, Brother Alexander, man, it's good to have you on. One of the things you hear us going back and forth when we're talking about uh, the end game, what we're looking for, and how we can have the youth more included in and more participatory in the liberation for empowerment, the struggle for empowerment and liberation for African people here in America. What's your take on it, or what are some of your suggestions? Um, well, as a teenager, as of right now, I don't, I, I don't necessarily look for an end goal. I, I, I don't 
I don't want to plan too far ahead because once you look too far ahead, you tend to not see the things directly in front of you. So I would say look more forward to like maybe one or two or three or four years in the future. As of now, as four years in the future, I want to be a sophomore at a four at a four year university doing good. So like I would say I would say I, I would say if I had to look towards the end and end goal would be is more I I would uh, like better education, you know, more more African teens that w- want to go to school not just to meet their best friends or to pick up the girl on the block or to just go there to learn something new, something different. I would say the end goal to to the youth is to make an impact in school. That's noble. I like what you said, you know, to address the first thing you said, and I love it. I think that that's very important. When you were saying, look, at, you know, five or six years, four or five years ahead, and to be to remain focused. I think that that can even take it one a step further, which um, I like. Is I tell people all the time, set realistic goals. To set realistic goals. I agree with you. A lot of times, especially in a lot of progressive black organizations, we have such lofty goals, which are good. They inspire and they motivate us as African people to achieve and to go for that which is greater. But at the same time, be realistic in the goals that we set, set short-term goals or mid-term goals to on the way to these long-term goals that you have. You know, when we talk about black nation building and having a black nation, what are some of the short-term goals that we can have on our way to this? What are some of the pro- programs that we can implement? So like the brother was saying, setting goals for a year, two years, three years, four years, and five years not just a 20-, 30-year goal plan. And also, I love the fact that you stress the importance of education. But what, So what do you think with this high dropout rate that we have, especially amongst black males and things of that nature, what are some of the things that you think or what kind of programs or incentives would you have to encourage young people to stay in school? Would it be the curriculum? If you could change the curriculum in schools, uh, what would you change it to to make it more inclusive? of Africans here in America. Okay, so I have my own little theory about the high dropout rate thing. I feel that teens and just just teens in general, the reason why the dropout rate is so high is the amount of pressure they put on us. You know, it's like the the first half of high school we hear prepare get ready, it's going to be hard, but that's about it, we don't ever get told, this is what you're going to learn, this is how much you're going to learn, this is how much you're going to see, and this is going to what needs to get done, so when we get to that mid-year, we're like, whoa, y'all said this was going to be hard, but y'all didn't say this was going to be nearly impossible, so I would say to, to, to decrease the dropout rate would be more so removing some of the unnecessary stuff or instead of forcing some of the unnecessary, like in my school right now, we are required to take dance. It is mandatory. How is learning dance hall going to help me on an MIT application? 
I would say take I'm out some of the unnecessary stuff and replace it with some with some with some different stuff. If you want more black history in the school, then replace a dance class with black history. Like mm-hmm. in my school right now, they completely they paid for art. Art was a thing for this year. I went to the school and I told them, you guys, you guys can get this for free, this for free, and this for free, and this is a whole other program. So I'm pretty sure if you guys went to the schools and just told them we are willing to do this, this, and this, they wouldn't mind removing a class that they pay so much for to let y'all go in and teach what y'all want to teach. So it would be so more parent participation because I think, yeah, what what has to happen is, you know, and what we say in our manuals, that we must take control of the school boards and the curriculum in our schools. So is more is it more, what is the parent-teacher or the PTA or the parent participation look like in your school? Is there a high parent participation in a particular school it's that a, you go to? It's a very high parent participation. It's, it's it's um, it's it's meetings with the principal all the time. It's we're calling you on a daily basis. But I don't think I don't think y'all should start at the whole parent teacher thing. I think y'all should start by having a foundation in the school. You guys should start by having some pool in the school. If you guys go to a school and you have a class there, and loads and loads of students sign up for that class, the school will riot if, if, if the school board pulls that class. Yeah, it's getting so in the schools, in, though. I think one of the first problems would be getting in, in the schools. I think why parent participation is so important, because that symbolizes community, community participation. It has to be a need. The community has to go to the school board and say, listen, this is our need. This is our want. You know, we want our children to learn a history like our 10-point platform says, that we want a true history that teaches us the black woman's man and role in this decadent American society that teaches the true nature of a decadent American society. So having us come in and establishing a class would first really set on the shoulders of, this is why we say all powers to the people, it would set on the shoulder, set on the shoulders and in the hands of and the power of the community, saying this is what we want. And this is what our taxpayers, if we're forced to pay taxes, if we're forced to send our children to school, then this is what we want represented. But if we go in there without uh, a what they call a constituency, without the support of the masses of people, then we just look like troublemakers or interlopers. You know, so the students have to first, the students, and, and it even starts even before the parents, like you were saying, Alex, in my opinion, it would start with the students saying they are dissatisfied with the curriculum that's being presented. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would, mm, so that's something. Why, Go ahead, brother. The reason why I said start at the school is because once the students... We can barely hear you. I'm, I'm saying... Oh, sorry. I'm saying I would start more at the school because for myself... If if I'm 
if I'm done with the class, like if I don't want to be there, I don't want to do anything for that class, it's, it's going to be very hard to get me to show up. But seeing something new that can replace a class that I don't want to deal with, I'm going to sign up for it instantly. It could be anything. It, it, yeah. It's the equivalent yeah. It's the equivalent of your mom saying, do you want to stay at home and clean your room or you want to take this five-hour drive with me? You don't want to clean your room, so you're going to take the drive. Absolutely, absolutely. I think but the key, the key thing is getting in the schools. So you have to understand the system is just not going to open the doors and, and allow a self-determinist movement to come in and teach a class. We have to be well, realistic now, I, about that. Well, now, like, for, like, for example, Alexander School, his, um, his dean of students um, invited I can barely hear you, Sister Minister. So, like, like, for Alexander School, his dean of students invites parents to come in with new ideas for classes. We can't. You know what I mean? I can't. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You, we, there you go. Can you hear me now? All right, let's say it again. Yeah, we can hear you now. It's better. Okay, so like at his school, his dean of students invites parents to um, submit ideas for new classes. They also invite the parents to come in as parent liaisons or parent parent teachers to assist in classrooms. They can't keep us. They can't say that we can't go in and ask about the curriculum or what they're teaching our schools. Most of the schools' curricular base is mostly like populated on the majority of kids that they have. So if the school is majority Hispanic, they'll teach a majority Hispanic-based curricular. You know what I'm saying? But if we offer yeah. options and suggestions, a lot of schools will be willing to open up to the suggestions, especially with the youth, because they're asking those questions like, what are we supposed to do? What what do we do when this happens? You know what I'm saying? The, the kids are asking these questions. So a lot Absolutely. of the – that's, I mean. that, that's, that's where it starts. It starts with – that's where any, 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 any movement, any revolutionary movement, any liberation movement – any movement is going to start with the people, and it starts when the people are dissatisfied or the people are asking for a change. And that's why I was just like explaining to the young man, it would start with the students. It would start with the students saying, hey, you know what, how is dance relevant to our everyday life, to our existence? We don't want to take the dance class. We want we want something more relative. We want something that speaks a little more directly to us. And it would take them saying that this is what we want. And, and, and we even know the people. We have the people that we can bring into it that will be willing to bring um, to bring such programs, to bring those programs. But us just going up to the school and saying this is what the program we want to offer to the school, this is what we want to teach the school, without the people behind it and supporting and clamoring and saying, yes, this is we're dissatisfied with the current curriculum, it would just leave them an opportunity to say no. Because, it, you know, the masses wouldn't even know that we were up there trying to bring a program. Always, any revolution has always started as what they call a popular movement. The people have wanted have cried for, begged for, uh, uh, clamored for, 
rally for changes in the current system and, and the way that things are being run. And the schools, definitely, this is where a lot of our revolutionary fighters come from out of schools, um, and the schools definitely set the pace for that. So it would be the students. I, you know, and out of sudden our revolution, it would be the students who say, this is what we want. We want this change. As students, we're already saying that. The school board is yeah. saying we can't provide this because we don't have anyone volunteering and request and coming to do it. So as students, yeah. when, they hear, when we hear the, the, the school say we don't have Oh, I'm about to drop out and go find them. Brother Alex, come in. If you can get get in the mic a little clearer. As students, we're already we're already saying it, but we we go because this has happened to me several times. I've gone up to the 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 principal and asked them, "Yo, can we have this?" And it's always we don't have the funds or we don't have enough volunteers. So. By you going and saying it, just bringing it up, or instantly make them yes, because that's what we need. We need more of it. When students hear we don't have enough, we don't have this, we don't have that, then they drop out. Because if the school ain't got what we want, we're going to leave. Yeah, yeah. This This is where community, but this is where the community organizations come in, this is the difference from being a people's party a lot of times and a um, being a party of the people and addressing the needs of the people and just being a a party of sensationalism, a party for recognition. When you're a community-oriented party, a community-based party, you feel the needs of the people. How do you feel the needs of the people? Because the way that you understand what the people need is because your party is comprised of the people. You see what I'm saying? One of the key things, like you say, you guys should come up to the school and volunteer. At at some point, especially being a young man who I look to bring into the party, it won't be you guys. It'll be how can we start to make this effective change? How can we volunteer? I'm willing to. I know some students who are dissatisfied with the current programs. Brother Chairman, how can we make this change? Finding local people right in your area who have the time to volunteer, who take this school issue as a very serious issue. Nothing more. It doesn't have to be on everything else. It doesn't have to be about the police shootings. It doesn't have to be about economic exploitation. You can find a group of people whose primary concern is the education and the curriculum that our young people are receiving in school and start to build around that nucleus. Use that as a core to draw people who share that same sentiment and say, let's attack this school issue. We got people attacking um, the senseless murders of black men. We have people attacking um, unplanned pregnancies or um, um, economic exploitation. We got people addressing these issues. Let us be those people that address the education issue and the school boards and the curriculum that is being taught to our young people. So you students... You young people, yourself, starting with yourself, are going to be very instrumental and very key in carrying uh, carrying the banner and moving forward. And I would love to see California start to, to develop, a, especially the People's Party, 
start to develop a committee, an educational committee that takes on this issue that you talked about, Brother Alex, not a strong curriculum, not a curriculum that identifies and targets our specific interests, as well as our history for our benefit and our edification, our building and our advancement. And therefore, it leads to a lot of our young men, in your opinion, which I agree with, and I think is a wise assessment for a 16-year-old. It, it leads to a lot of the young men dropping out of our schools. Yep. I think that is a very, I think that is, you know, for 16, I think that shows a lot of insight. You really have your hand on the pulse when you say a lot of those things. But it's going to take, you know, talking to your friends. Yeah telling them to get get their parents involved if they have reforming that committee, that if their parents have free time, rotating the schedules, finding out what parents can volunteer, what the class looks like, sitting with other people to help develop a particular curriculum on how that class will be taught. One yep. of, you know, one of the things that I would love to see, an initiative that we as the People's Black Panther Party will take which I used to do when I, because I came up a cub, used to happen to us when I was little. Um, we had libera- what was called liberation schools, and they were on Saturdays. And it was an effort to undo the mental brainwashing that we had received Monday through Friday. So Saturdays was all about learning history that was related to us, going on field trips that were related to us, eating food that pertain to us, wearing clothing and, and seeing imagery that instilled in us a sense of black worth and black pride, you know. And, and, and so these are some of the things that we can do. Getting study groups together. I can't stress yep. enough like the young brother was saying. Go ahead, brother, please. Jump in here, man. Oh, uh, no, actually, <laughs> I'm going to have to go and do some homework. So I'm going to have to go. Homework. Brother Alex, it was a pleasure having you on the line again. Let me introduce, this was Brother Alex, one of the young and upcoming brothers, definitely a covenant thing, expecting great things out of, uh, expecting great things out of our Brother Alex. Want to hope to put you on this uh, committee, this youth committee, and aspiring to me, in my opinion, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit, an aspiring minister youth, an aspiring youth minister, aspiring and inspiring at the same time, uh, youth minister, coming up with some great programs, brother, coming up with the YouTube thing, was telling us how to work that. Brother, get in there, do your homework, man. I'll talk to you a little later off the line. All powers to the people and black power, young brother. Have a good night or a good day in John, California. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, brother Alex. So that was that was some that was some input from my, my our young brother Alex, man, who is dynamic, and he has some very good things to say. He was saying education, stressing the importance of education. And my thing was um, in stressing the importance of education, how do you make this education, how do you make the education such that it's appealing and um, engaging, interesting to our young people? Like I see some people on the line, and I have a sister on the line who her son is phenomenal. Very intelligent. My little dude, man, I rap to this dude. I mean, we get into political discussions, and the brother be rapping on some politics that have me thinking. And we were, he and I was um, down, I was down there, and he and I were talking about Trump, of all things. He just turned 11, of all things, we were talking about Trump, and he was talking about why he didn't, you know, he wasn't feeling Trump. And it wasn't just 
the rhetoric he had heard some people say, he actually had an informed opinion, which led to a deeper discussion and an exchange of ideas. And it led me to thinking, damn, if I'm engaging this intently, this deeply with a young man, I know our school systems have to be putting them to sleep. Listen to me. Have to be putting them to sleep. We think that our young people aren't paying attention. They say, oh, well, he's, you know, needs riddling or he can't sit still. We should, you know, make the, the, the programs interesting. Stop trying to colonize him or make a neo-colonialist to make a little zombie teaching him something that doesn't agree with the very nature of who and what he is. And then maybe you would have more participation out of our children. Maybe they would listen a little more pay attention. Let's go to our phone lines and get some of the people's opinion. You're listening to People's Black Panther Party, uh, People's Talk. This is an opportunity for you to chime in, give us your opinions, your views. We value them and we appreciate them. We're going to area code 570 4907. 570 4907. Your mic is open. Yeah, um, I'm a concerned brother, you know what I'm saying, with regard to the youth. You know, um, uh-huh. am I being heard? You are heard. This is you brother, are this is, this, Okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, in terms of education, you know, I have a brand-new baby daughter, and I've decided I'm going to homeschool her because, right on. you know, because they ain't teaching the right things in, in, in the school system, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as as our black youth, that's why, you know, a lot of them are being misguided, you know, and the values, values, morals, and principles is being left behind. You know, and that's something that we really need to bring home to them because it's it's you know essential for growth and development. You know, we need we need a strong black nation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, do you think you're ready for the challenge of homeschooling? And when you homeschool, what are going to be some of the things that you focus on? Oh man, oh man. Well, basically, being that you know, I I, I grew up. New York City school system, um, and you know when you get older, you know as an adult you realize that a lot of the things that you learned was straight lies. It was straight lies. Mm-hmm. Christopher Columbus discovered America. How are you going to discover something that's already that people already there, right? Um, yeah. Abraham right. Link, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Um, anybody that does, has done any uh, research on the Civil War um, will see that that was not what Abraham Lincoln, you know, what it was all about in terms of uh, freeing the slaves. Like, he's such a great person. You know, they put him on a penny. Um, but at the end of the day, his 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 main objective was to preserve the Union. He didn't have this, uh, the interest. So it's so like I said, anybody that does any research on the Civil War will see what what, what transpired was that uh, the North was losing the fight. The war was, you know, the South they was they was doing their thing and they was winning. And so basically, what he what what they needed to do was to inspire people, inspire their soldiers to you know to fight harder. And so they incorporated the Negro slaves, uh, the slaves 
um, I'm trying to think. That's what they was calling the Buffalo Soldiers. No, 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 no. Yeah. My bad. That, that was that was a different war. That was the one with the Indians. But they did incorporate colored slaves and and soldiers into the Civil War and said that okay, these people that want to enslave you, um, you know, you can kill them. Here you go. Here go a gun. Here go a knife. Big bayonet. You know, go go get, fight for your freedom. And so, mm-hmm. if, so basically, if the North wouldn't have had no no issues, and they would have just just ran through the South uh, Army, um, who who knows what what the state of us would be at this juncture in time? You know what I mean? Because um, you know, I say this: the Constitution uh, talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, right. But at, at that at, at the time the Constitution was written. Um, the black man is considered three-fifths of a human being. I always thought mm-hmm. that in terms of it being derogatory and looked down upon uh, and, you know, like you're not even a human. Um, but basically when they was when they was forming the, the Constitution and the government and all that in terms of the census, they was they were saying that three slaves, three, uh, three slaves would be equivalent of one white citizen. That's basically what. Yeah. It, once I did my research, well, I, I got a, a lot more clear. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, well, I, one of the things I'm gonna say, man, for you that I see what motivated you, and and to have you say this brief thing, because you know I know this brother, and this had an opportunity to meet the brother, man, and very impressed with the brother. And I think one of the things that impressed me the, a, a, a lot about this particular brother was the brother is an entrepreneur. The brother could have been a woe is me brother sit around and holler about, oh, the black man doesn't get a break. He doesn't get a break. But the brother flipped tragedy to triumph, and it inspired oh, him yeah. to do to start a catering business. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And the brother's on his thing. And I appreciate for letting me get them orders of T-shirts, too, uh, Mortimer. Oh, so that's yes, a good look on that, definitely. man. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. You know, yeah. keep the business, keep the business in the community. But of tell course. me about how that inspired you to want to do your own business thing, and how do you find that being – your uh, your own business operator and a black male in today's society. Mm, well, okay, I'm glad you asked me that question because uh, you know I'm 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 a very well versed, read, research type individual. I don't take nobody's word for nothing. I research things myself. Um, one of the most successful um, black entrepreneurs of our time, even. Um, a gentleman by the name of John H. Johnson, he created uh, Ebony Magazine. And so when it first started, it was like in the 1950s, you know, and it's still a lot of Jim Crow laws and, you know, whites drink out of that water fountain and blacks drink out of this water fountain and all that was going on. So, but this gentleman, um, he had the fortitude to go around the, 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 the rhetoric Actually, what he did was he had a very good friend who happened to be white and his attorney. So he wanted to purchase a big uh, building, and he knew he had the money and everything, he, but he knew that they wouldn't sell it to him because he was black. So he had his friend, the white lawyer friend, go in, in his place like to purchase the building after he purchased that building, um, this this man skyrocketed, you know, 
and success in terms of magazine sales. Everybody know about Ebony Magazine. You know, it's a black magazine. It's family-owned. It's very successful. They've made plenty of money. So based on his concept, um, geographically speaking, my present location is predominantly uh, the other man, not the brother man, right? So what I've done in, in, in taking from him, from his his concepts of what he did when he, when he started his business is basically the same thing because I'm doing um, personalized chefing, um, catering, uh, uh, small events. So, I mean, you could be an owner-operator that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in nobody's face and just let other people, you know, the customers, you know, basically, you know, it, it is what it is, man. A lot of people are racist. So, you know, they don't want to be like, oh, this black man cooking my food and stuff like that. So I, I let, some, I let some, some white brothers that work for me, some white people, go up in there and cook the food and set everything up nice and, you know, and I still reap the benefit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You with me, I, man, that's, <laughs> yeah, I can Yeah, that's some that that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's so why not? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Why not? Well, things things that are successful things that are successful, you use that. You know what I'm saying? Why not? Use it cuz it worked. Yeah. 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 So, man. So, and know, that's what I, I'm talking like you said, man. Yeah, Go ahead, brother, brother Yanga. So, so no, basically, I'm listening. No, 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 I'm quiet, man. We listen. We, we, you know, we definitely want his advice and his expertise. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm about to, you know. So, so with regard to the education of my little one, okay, um, being that, you know, that's my pride, pride and joy and everything, you know. So I want her to. She's growing up in a world that's you know, not always hospitable to females of color and females, period, you know, and it's real crazy, but it is what it is. So I want to make sure that she has the type of edge that she needs and, you know, not only my beautiful daughter, but many other young black children. I think Mm -hmm. Egyptology Egyptology needs to be uh, taught because... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because once they learn, you know, when you learn where you come from, and if you come from royalty, you come from you come from the first mathematics sciences, and you know it was it's, you know history is very interesting. Um, yeah, but I think I think it can really help in terms of uh, a lot of insecurity a lot of young black kids have. Um, about you know all they all they know about in school is Black History Month, slavery, stuff like that. They don't never mm-hmm. bring it back to Egyptology. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah, and that's real. And, yeah, and that's, that's real. real. And that's I, I, I never heard about. nothing about Egypt when I was in school about how, right. about even even characters even the characters in the Bible. All of them was black. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So now well, you know, it's just uh huh. No, I was just saying, you know, brother Mortimer, that's that's by design. You see, oh, yeah. in, in order for a certain system to run, especially a classist system, a system like this that it's evolved from the color thing. It's no longer black and white, but it's a class system. It's exactly. evolved from that. But in order for that system to exist, 
it must still have its big toe stuck in what established it in the first place, and that's racism. If they can yes. get African people to not to be other than themselves, then we will never look at ourselves to be on equal footing. And it's not about hating any other people, but it's about working with them in equality and being on exactly. being on and not some, equal footing because anybody allowed us to, but being on equal footing because you have that much pride and self-worth in yourself. Hey, Brother Mortimer, exactly. listen, I need to yes, go sir. to my phone lines, man. I definitely That's appreciate fine. you. I want you to continue to hold and listen in. I'm going to put you back on mute. And if you want to say anything else, get the thing again. Beautiful family. Um, I had the opportunity, like I said, to meet this brother. Brother is not just rapping, man. The brother's living what he says, man. Beautiful family holds his baby girl down. Like I said, I was impressed by the fact that the brother is doing the entrepreneurial thing and, and, and rocking it. Let's go to our phone lines and continue. Oh, they dropped off, so we'll go to our phone lines and we'll open it up for Sister Khadija. I know you took off your mic, but I seen you was on. Your mic's open, Sister. Greetings, brother. How you doing? I'm good, sister. How about yourself? Greetings. Good, good. I was I had to chime in on the education things. That that's kind of my thing. And you know, really, even though we're, I don't think that we're even scratching the potential of these students, of these young people. I don't think we're even cracking it. I think that we are doing them a grave injustice by sending them to a school system that is designed to pipeline them into the prison system. The system Mm. does its job, and we are participating in it fully. And we have to really start to look at our own participation and role that we have in allowing this to continue to occur and, um, you know, continue in the participation of it. You know, everybody's not an educator, so we have to come up with ways to think communally. You know, I I like the whole separate but equal idea. You know, we have to find a way to really challenge these youth and give them an opportunity, but we have to do it in a way that nurtures them as African Americans and as people that don't have to go to prison and people that can grow to be entrepreneurs and farmers and everything else that we need and that we have the potential to be. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, you had asked, you know, are we ready to homeschool? Everybody may not be ready to homeschool, but somebody has to, you know. And I think this yeah. is where we have to really start to see the strengths of each of us. You know, the job is more than just our military. The job is more than just our educators. The job, you know, the job that's needed to get us out of this rut that we've created is more than just one aspect. It's all of the aspects. It's nutrition. It's fitness. It's defense. It's all of those things. But each person has to contribute what they have. And um, I think we've got to start identifying needs and then identifying who can handle those needs, you know? Well, what does that look like? You know, I mean, like, and and I agree with you. You know, my whole thing, my whole premise, my social, cultural, economic is black nationalists, which which, which translates into African communalism. But when we say, like you said, I agree with that all of us are teachers. So homeschooling isn't the best idea for, you know, everyone, so we need a communal type of school. But what does that look like? A lot of our separation is founded on 
theology on religion. We have the Hebrew right. Israelites over here. We got the black yeah. Muslims over there. We have the Moors yeah. over there. Where is the community that says, you know, all the only criteria is to be of African descent and the, about the edification, the advancement, and upliftment, and empowerment, and self-worth, and self-esteem of the African people or black people here in America. What I haven't seen a, I've seen organizations on that, but I've never seen a community built on that. What does that look like, and how do you go about implementing that and bringing that into fruition? Well, Hello? Yeah, we're here. Okay. I think that that has to start with small communities. You know, this is not the first time we've done this. Right after um, slavery, we had communities. We had Wall Street. We had all kinds of things. And it wasn't trying to develop nationwide. It wasn't even statewide. Mm -hmm. It was this family building with that family. You know, and I think we have to get back to that understanding that it's okay to build on smaller levels. You know, and I think that's where a lot of the parties get lost, trying to be national and international when their neighbor is in need. You know, so we're reaching way across the country, but really the reach isn't that far. It's with our neighbor next door. So yeah, yeah, I really do believe that. Starting small and building strong is the answer, and and having the communities felt very locally. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, here at us as the People's Black Panther Party, we agree wholeheartedly with that concept. We believe that we don't build from the top down, but from the bottom up. That the um, national power is derived from the local principalities, from the communes, from the local being empowered and empowering themselves and being able to practice self-determination amongst themselves. And once you have these communities developed and built, then they start to want to to build with other communities that are established in other places locally. And the national only acts as that uh, apparatus that would facilitate an exchange of information, exchange of goods and commerce, if that should develop from these communities, acts as the apparatus that interlinks all of these communities, but they have to be built locally. I agree with that. And and, and beautiful examples of Black Wall Street, Rosewood, and other mm-hmm. black places or other places that African people congregated and made up the majority that wasn't okay. built and based on any particular or specific religious yeah. ideology or philosophy. It was built on the fact. But, you know, but then, though, um, Sister Khadija, it leads to the question about Segregation, because a lot of that came out of the fact that we weren't allowed, nobody wanted us well, to be a part of their society. In in my effort to not sound, um, not sound any kind of way, I don't want to be offensive to anyone. Um, at the same time, I think uh, you, part of the usually problem- when people say that. Usually when people say that, you're about to say something very offensive. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to. <laughs> but at the same time, with, back in those... going to be a bad statement. Go on with no, your bad self. No, no. I will behave. I will behave. Yo, but, I mean, you bad know, isn't good. Yeah. Back in those days, we had to rely on each other. There was no uh, Section 8. 
There was not food stamps. There wasn't. There weren't these things that took the reliance away from the family and away from um, the individuals. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, when one of us ate, we all ate. And but now the government has stepped in and created opportunities for those in need, but it's, it's gotten twisted to the point where it it pulls apart the family. It removes the family, and um, it doesn't support, it doesn't create trust and support in the family dynamic. And because of that, people don't trust going to stay with Big Mama. They're they going to go to the housing authority, and they're going to get what they can get with goods. And that's turned not into supplemental or an emergency situation. That's turned into, you know, that's life. You know, the second I get mm-hmm. enough, that's what I'm about to do. And um, we have to change that and create more trust within our community, you know, more trust between men and women, more trust in the family dynamic, um, you know, no disrespect, but we so, need grandma to be older than 40, you know what I'm saying? There's all kinds of things that we got going on that we have to do to build that family unit up. Because I believe the family unit, that's the core of the community. Because if you can build your family, then you can see everybody as family. That's why we call each other brother. That's why we call each other sister, because we're trying to develop a relationship with you so that I can talk to you because we're related. Now that brother don't mean nothing because your brother ain't meant nothing and he hasn't done nothing for you. You know, so we're constantly building those relationships and um, building that family unit back up. So are you saying that a lot of the social programs uh, that the government enacted or the government started to implement was the de- demise, was the destruction of the socialization of black people, you know, aided, they, they started to be the breakup of our community building and our community living, of the reliance on one another? Really, that was broken when we got on them ships. That family unit has been totally obliviated since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. The women were misused and, you know, used and misused by the master, and the men were used as, you know, basically breeders, you know what I'm saying, or they were infeminated Mm -hmm. to the point that they weren't even worth that, you know what I'm saying? So the family unit has been under attack for so long I can't even say that these programs destroyed something that was already broken. So I I think we have to really go and build and create models, you know, because there are some people that are out there doing it. There, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have seen units, family units, community units that work hard in the commitment of um, supporting one another, being there for one another, expanding the family, and, and all. I've seen it with my eyes. So I know it exists, but it takes a commitment level past anything else. We're going to work together past anything else. I'm, we're going to work together because yeah. it's divinely set up. You know what I'm saying? So until we mm-hmm. get those levels of commitment to where we're like, you know, yes, this person has messed up a thousand times, but I'm going to still work with them. You know, I'm trying to get business together myself, and I'm frustrated because I started to race first. Hmm? And I can't get race first to come through. You know, I'm like, come on now. 
I'm trying to support this. So it's uh it's challenging, but you know, that unit, that working with ourselves first, our building each other up, sharing what works and what doesn't work, that will create more positive things for our community. Black power. Black power. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. I hear you clearly. I don't hear the brother at all. I don't hear him either. <laughs> uh, one moment. The women have taken <laughs> over. You hear me? Going on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. I was I was on mute. Over. Uh, Black <laughs> yeah, power. Sorry. I was on mute. Mm-hmm. Black uh, power. Yeah, brother. Just let you know what we have our minister. We have our minister justice online. Uh, to come in and chime in on the communication anytime. Uh, Dr. Justice, who's input, would be more than, yeah, more than welcome. But like you were saying, I agree with you. I agree with you, um, Sister Khadija, wholeheartedly. You know, that destruction of the, of the black family was one of the first um, first things to start to aid and contribute to the demise and destruction mm-hmm. of the, the uh, whole black nation, the whole society. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It changed, uh, and I'm gonna be honest with me and everybody who knows me knows it that the whole integrationist movement, yeah. because I think that the integrationist movement was, you know, so much. I, I think that it had gotten twisted. You know what I I'm saying? So I think that the whole message of Dr. King had gotten twisted. That the whole Understanding exactly what it was that we were fighting for. It wasn't just integration for the sake of integrating. It was saying that we don't want to, you know, the the separate but equal sounded good as a slogan. It looked good on paper, but the reality was that it wasn't happening that way. So, like Sister Khadija said, we had to have a lot of self reliance, a lot of um, pulling together, pulling up the resources, a lot of the community structure, a lot of the way we behave. Not only because it was uh, um, a part of us, but because this is what kept us alive. You see, so when when we integrated, we integrated not only our physical bodies, but we started to integrate our morals and our ethics. And people have heard me say that time before: the things that was acceptable or weren't acceptable in our communities later became acceptable because we started to emulate other people. This is not an attack on other people's ways, their lifestyles, their culture. We're just saying exactly what it is. It is their culture, their lifestyle. And we have a tendency, being devoid of our own, to not only pick up, not only to be with them, not only to dress like them, but to start to think like them and act like them. One of the biggest phenomena that you've seen, when I, you know, killed me. When I was coming up, it was the Italian thing. Everybody wanted to be an Italian. Everybody, every brother had an Italian name, the Gambino. You know, brother be black as midnight. I'm little Gambino. I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. Now it's the Latino thing. In Atlanta, we got the Amigos. A group of three brothers call themselves the Amigos. And, 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 and uh, what is these raps? I'm in love with the Coco. And I'm in love with a Bolivian girl and a Peruvian girl and all of this type of stuff. So it's the whole Latin America thing. It's the lack of self-identity and the love of other people. 
you know, so much so, so much so that we start to forget ourselves. Let's go to the, I'm going to go to the um, phone lines here. Let's go 323-5988. Your mic is open. Um, Peace, Black Power. This is Sister Khadija from L.A. What's going on, Mr. Khadija? What's the good word, sister? Oh, I don't want to comment on education. I want to comment on the second part of our our topic. What's the end game? What's really going on? Like, what's really going on? I was was speaking to Sister Justice a few, a couple hours ago about what what's really going on? Like what what are we supposed to tell these other formations that come to us for guidance and 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 instruction when they're somewhere when they belong to some something else? Case in point, all day I've been getting inboxed by people who are coming in from out of town from other formations about the anniversary. What are they supposed to do? Where are they to go? What is it to do? I don't know what to tell them. You know what I'm saying? Like, what what am I supposed to do? How how do we guide these people? What do we do? Can you can you, can you come in and can you give me some direction on that, Chairman? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we perform a service. I would what I would do, especially you've been in California, you've been in L.A., and I can just only imagine how much you know when people type in Black Panther Party and our thing is popping up. How much, how much an overload it has to be for everyone asking for this information. What I would do is I would call the alumni. I would call the Third Development Black Panther Party or people whom people call the original, and I would get contact information. And I would post it to our Facebook, and I would have it ready for people that inbox me. I would say, listen, here's the contact information to the organ to that organization. And I would aid and assist everyone, despite whatever formation. They can be from Hashim's, Crystal Muhammad's, Baba Omawali's, Ali Muhammad. Um, let me think. Am I forgetting any chairman? Uh, uh, Black Rod of General Taco. I mean, they could be from anyone. There's nothing personal here. Our job is service and service to the people. So I would get that contact information, and if someone would contact me for information as to where to go, or what their itinerary is, I would say I can't help you with the specifics, but I can give you contact information that I was given. So I would get the contact information from that particular party group, Panther Party group, the alumni who's having the 50th anniversary, and I would disseminate that information as needed. Okay. Black Power. Black Power, Power. this is Dr. Justice. If I might say, um, I clearly understand what the sister is saying, um, and we are here to Dr. serve Dr. Justice, you sound so far away. Uh, I'm sorry. How do I sound now? You sound great to me. You still sound How far, do? but. Well, um, okay. Uh, just really short. Okay, um, they had those, those, uh, that 50th anniversary came with invites. As a matter of fact, the People's uh, Black Panther Party was invited. Um, so if folks are coming in from out of town and they don't know where to go or what to do, they actually crashing something. And I don't know, um, and, and I think that is good to give them the information 
to just give them information regarding that. You know, like, well, this is the person you get in touch with. You know, because they're gonna um they're gonna tell them what they need to know. Like you giving them directions there and whatnot is just not gonna get them in. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we were speaking about um, you know, educating our children. Um, what I wanted to say was that we have a a, a, a feeding program as well as an educational program for our children. What I found really unnerving is with the first time those parents hear black power, they're ready to take their kids out of there. What I also found was that whatever programs we implement, the school that's across the street from us, they'll implement our same programs for the same time and the whole bit. The government's been doing that to us. You know, what was the implementing the New Deal to put their economy back on the map? So whatever it is, mm-hmm. they, you know, either they keep us poor and disenfranchised, and then when we decide, oh, okay, we're going to you know, get into some self-determination and do this ourselves, which is what our elder pastors, the alumni, this is what they did. And as soon as they did that, what happened? These individuals, they came along and said, oh, wait a minute now. Now we're going to have to give them a little something to keep them dependent. So that's what we got with because these are what our, our brothers just to put together with. Women's infants and children's program, where they got the free milk and whatnot for the children. Um, when it came to the breakfast program, they did the same thing. But, again, let me just reiterate how we're giving our children a superior education here at um, our LIM program, Liberating Young Minds. And what happens, as I said, you know, these parents would rather have their children in an institution that was created to keep them bound than to have them with individuals that give them some empowerment that looks just like them. That's all I wanted to say, Black Power. Black Power. Uh, absolutely. You know, one of the things, though, is we have to go, and going after the youth, we definitely have to target their parents. So we have to be sensitive. The information that we give the youth has to be uh sensitive to the parents. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it has to be something that's inviting, something that makes okay. the parents feel. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. Uh, something that is inviting to the parents and makes the parents feel welcome to participate. You know, that's what that's 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 one of the old things. That's why I say that a lot of times, like when our minister of politics, Friedman, it started with her daughter actually addressing the teacher who was teaching wrong about Christopher Columbus. She later wrote a letter to the school board, uh, and it involved other students heard it and, and agreed with uh, Radiance Freedom's daughter, and it started to involve other students and other parents. And so they started to gather together and meet around that particular issue, not every other issue. Sometimes us, as even as the people of Black Panther Party, we start to make, we're not understanding the revolutionary process, that in the revolutionary process that there are mechanisms and there's, and there's areas that certain that people are going to address and are going to feel more comfortable addressing. And one of them when addressing the curriculum thing, when addressing the school thing, it should be just on that, and it's going to really take the parents' involvement. Go to a PTA meeting. I went with a couple of my sons a couple of times. There's no, forget about seeing fathers in there. You can forget about I probably was one of three fathers that was in the PTA meeting, and the parent participation was poor, was piss poor. And we wonder why our children come home with all of these crazy notions and ideas and lessons because we don't get involved in the curriculum and demand that they teach something that is relative to our children. 
You know, we literally don't get involved in it. And so much so that, like you said, now in Georgia, that, you know, especially with all these people, man, I don't vote. I don't get into that voting stuff, man. That voting ain't for you. Okay, you can feel like that. I don't knock that because I'm not a reformist. I don't believe that the final solution will be found in a ballot box. I don't believe that. But I do believe in small practical steps and not voting for a board, school board superintendent is harmful. Now that we have been so apathetic to the local politics that now the state of Georgia appoints school board officials. No longer does the community appoint these people whom you may have had a rapport with, whom you may have seen to your grocery store, who attends your churches or your masses or your synagogues in your community, who lives in your community and sees the plight, sees the, uh, the effect of a non-existent public school system, so-called education, and these black children in their neighborhoods, now they're appointing these people that don't live in your neighborhoods, they have no relatability, therefore they have no accountability, therefore they have no sentimental attachment or emotion, and they don't give a damn. All because we don't get involved with politics. I don't do that voting shit. Now anybody's a school board appear. So it is about participation. One of the jobs of the revolutionary is to motivate and to inspire the masses of people, the everyday brother and sister, people like you and I, to be involved with their own self-determination, to stop waiting for at the whims of other people sitting by, allowing other people to choose your destiny and your fate. Because like human nature, people will only do the majority of the time, unless they're disciplined and spiritual, they will only do that which is advantageous for them, and that's natural. So this European, when he teaches us and he uh, takes care of us, he will only do it in a way that is advantageous for the propagation and the, and the evolution of his people. That's it. We can't afford the apathy. What's the end game? The end game. In order for us to see a real end game, we must lose the apathy. Our churches, our masjids, our synagogues, our Christian science centers and science of the mind, wherever, everything we do must start pushing and propagating a self-determinist attitude. They ask about the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey. Well, what made Marcus Garvey so prolific? What made him so powerful? Why was the United Negro Improvement Association, African Community League, ACLU, so effective? And it wasn't that he got up there and dropped some white man rhetoric, or they didn't march around with guns all on YouTube. And this, what made him so effective? He said, up, you mighty people. You can do it. You up, you mighty race. You can accomplish what you will. He was a self-determinist. He said, where are our heads of state? Where are our men of import? Where are our ambassadors? I was reading a book on him one time. He said, this is why he dresses so regally, so royally. 
because we're used to seeing everyone else dressed in their regality, in their um, fine pomper and glitter, in their in their in their best. We're used to seeing that them adorned with medals and fine military hats and military parades. We were used to seeing other people doing that. He said, "Where are my men of imports? Where are my head of states?" So he gave us this, our parades, our presidents, a feeling of self-worth, economic investments, businesses that we could invest in for us, by us. The Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey was the first FUBU. So this is what we at the People's Black Panther Party try to emulate. It's not about us. We don't. I don't go for the vanguard mentality. I'm not trying to get a vanguard movement. I'm not trying to have a movement that's saying we are the vanguard of the revolution. Nigga, do you know what you're claiming? For you brothers and sisters out there hollering this stuff, man, hey, man, yo, I just want y'all to know what you're claiming. And I'm not mad at you if you're claiming that, but live up to it. Don't fold when the pressure comes. The vanguard is the engine of the train. It's the first brothers and sisters in the battle. No old bars. So what we're trying to do, we are the populist movement. We are the liberators. We're freedom fighters. We're the ones that want to inspire and motivate our people to do for self, help our people to develop programs that empower communities. Like Sister Khadija said, when we start locally, even if it's small, empowering us to do better and not being a people that just uh, sit and wait for other people to determine our life. It's amazing. Like you said, we like, I always hear, man, I don't get involved with that politics thing, but politics is involved with you. And I'm not talking about federal politics. I'm not talking about voting for a presidency. I'm not talking about that stuff, but I am talking about knowing how things damn work. If you don't vote for the presidency, cool, but know who your state representative is. If you get a Republican president and you're into that type of thing, you damn sure want a Democratic Congress because one cancels out the other. If the Republican president passes a bill that targeted and exploits African people, at least a Democratic Congress can put a hold to that bill. Or if a Republican Congress passes a bill that exploits and oppresses African people, a so-called liberal president or Democratic president will at least put a halt to that. No, it's all racist. You know, it's like Malcolm said. It's either to the fox or the wolf. But the reality is that you live here. You're just as bad as someone with a religion. Closing your eyes. I don't get involved with that. Closing your eyes fucking tight. Hoping that it misses you. But you pay rent. You pay taxes. You pay gas. You got a license. You do everything to fund and feed the state, but don't want to participate in anything that may remotely give you a say in state operations, and if it doesn't, and in most instances, it doesn't, but if it doesn't, then the revolutionary understands what it does do, 
and it educates the masses of people to the hypocrisy in this so-called democracy. See, they can't know that this government isn't for them if they doesn't know how the government works. How can you know that it's a sham if you don't study the sham? A lot of instances, a lot of brothers and sisters don't get involved out of laziness. It's easier to preach and to teach and it simply be rhetoric because there's no solid plan behind it. We can holler about the European, the white man gunning us down in the streets. We holler, Eric Garner, I can't breathe. Mike Brown, hands up. Remember Trayvon? We'll spit that stuff. We will spit it eloquently. We will move the masses, inspire the crowd, set them up into a frenzy. Injustice, no justice, no peace. All of this good stuff. And when asked about an end game, a solution, real practical programs, a platform that works for the people, when asked about that, their mum mouth. You can't get a word out of them because they've never thought that far. They're not looking for practical solutions. They're not looking for realistic solutions. Many of them will whip you up in a frenzy. And when you ask them, what do you do, they'll say, wait for the mothership. Wait for a UFO to come and beam your ass up. Look to Egypt. The pyramids and hieroglyphics contain answers. And I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking our brothers and sisters. But to me, it's the same as the Muslims and the Christians and every other people waiting for some spookism. Even I so pro-black that black is your black. It's just your black. Don't worry about it. You're black. It all works out. Where does it work? So we have to start to look at these things from a realistic perspective. And I agree wholeheartedly in because I am an African communalist. So I do believe in communes. I do believe in those center, those uh, communities building around one another and expanding outward as they grow and different communes being in different places. And if this commune is known for its beautiful, delicious tomatoes, and that commune is known for its livestock, its goats and its uh, cows and its chickens and its fish or whatever, then some type of trade being established between these two communes. I think that's a lovely idea. But this is what we see going on right now, us not having an end game, only opens the arena and the platform for misery pimps, for black suffrage hustlers, those people who don't want us to have a solution, those people who make a living off of our pain. You see them traveling from area to area. Everywhere you find one of us killed or maimed, when some injustice has happened to us, you find them traveling here. And in many instances, and a lot of the cases, the local population don't want them because they stir it up to such a frenzy. They create so much chaos and havoc without leaving any practical solution that it only turns up the repression on the local populace. 
they ought to be ashamed of themselves. So we ask them, and any time you come up with a solution, brothers and sisters, they it's it's they have a reason that it's they could tear it down. Why it won't work. Yet they have none. You will find them bankrupt in the department of really coming up with something that is tangible, that is realistic. And you say, well, what will it hurt to try this? Because we're not doing anything. There's been hours we'll be arguing about some damn politics. Why our politics don't work? Hours arguing with me about politics and not hours on a solution. It's the damnedest thing. Sister, your mic is open. Did you want to jump in here, Sister Khadijah? Oh, I got two Khadijahs. Khadijah from L.A. or Khadijah from uh, Atlanta. Uh, this is Khadijah in Atlanta. You are really on fire. I love to hear it. Love to see it. I'm ready to see, you know, it's like because I'm such a, a baseline person, I'm like, tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? I. I, at this point, and there are a lot of people like me, especially black women that are heading households, they're like, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? What? How can I network? Who should I be speaking to? You know, and, and that's what, that's all I need to hear. I'm good. I'm good. Well, and I think you're going to see, yeah, you're going to see people are like, look, I see the problem. Just like you're saying, where the solution? And the sisters are like, you'll see there are a lot of us that are open-minded to where the solution is. You know, we've tried this, we've tried that, we've been struggling on our own, we, we're doing this, doing that. They're like, okay, we want to see something different. And, let, and it has to be different that the government's not providing. It has to be trustworthy to where I'm like, you know what, I will, you know, I'll give up my day job to teach the community of children. I'll do this and I'll do that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, at this point, it's just who can fill the need and when are we going to get started? Because really, it's there. It's ready. You know, every black child I see gunned down in the street looks just like my son. And so I know I'm not going to be good with that. It bothers me when I can see my son let alone when he leaves my eyesight and I can't see him. So we, we got to do something major about this, you know, and everybody has a place and a position to play, and we need to validate those positions and allow people to do what they're good at, whatever that is. And that's, that's the ticket. That's the ticket to creating a, a strong society, allowing everyone to play the role that they play, and to being where they and to being where they're good at, you know, um, and 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 I would advise the sisters that it starts with something as simple as that. It starts with, it starts with. Uh, hold on, pardon me. Hey, there you go. It starts with, it starts with our, it starts with our, our sisters getting together, getting together. Um, Starting with sex, it doesn't have to be anything flamboyant, anything over the top. You know what I'm saying? It can start as something as a little study group, something, a community group that just addresses local issues. 
to me, this is I think that's thing wonderful. That when we talk about an end game, when we talk about really getting some solutions done, a lot of times I think that's grandiose type of solution. We get on a real grandiose scale of things and not just start with the small things that matter. You know, and that's looking and that's looking local. And this is where the brothers and this is where the brothers are gonna really have to get involved. You know, and we need more think tanks. So our topic is what is the end game? This is the People's Black Panther Party coming at you. We like to hear what the masses think. Think the end game is what are we trying to get to? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we want to see? What are some of the things that harmed us? What are some of the things that we have to stay away from? You know, how can we be successful? How can we engage the youth more? What will make it more appealing to them? To make them see the importance of participating in their own self-determination. These are the questions that have to be asked, and this is the work that has to be done. On a, on a real practical level, on a real tangible level, getting out there, interacting, and exchange, socializing. This whole social media thing has done the complete opposite of what the first thing to note it is, is social. If it, it's anything but social, it's taking us away from socializing with one another. We've lost the ability to go out there and community build to look eye to eye with our brother and our sister, to sit around and say, hey, you know what? We have the same common concerns and the same issue. We're all over here struggling and fighting for our lives, fighting to make a better tomorrow for our children, to make a tolerable existence for our today, to make some type of an amendment or our ancestors proud for our past, doing these type of things. This is what it this is what it calls for. So how do we make that happen? I go back and reiterate what I was talking about earlier. I rode through when I was in New York, I rode through Chinatown and me coming from the south and seeing as I mean, you know, coming from Cleveland I see it, but to see it on such a large scale in New York, blocks and blocks of Chinese people. Downtown, I think we were in Manhattan. To be in downtown Manhattan and see blocks and blocks of Chinese people with signs in Chinese. Signs in Chinese. Markets in Chinese. I didn't see a McDonald's. I didn't see a, a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. None of that. I saw Chinese people shopping with Chinese people, buying from Chinese people, running Chinese stores, walking in the street, speaking Chinese, reading Chinese signs. Nationalism in its books. But when you and I talk about even remotely doing something that looks like that, the first thing you have is some Negro. It don't even be anyone else. It'd be some Negro out about, you know, black people can't work together. All what gets me, my favorite one, is they won't even put it on themselves. They'll say, these niggas, these niggas don't want to. But no, bro, what about you? The change starts with you. The change starts with you, changing our mindset, changing the way that we look and perceive ourselves. I shared this story before. I remember when I was out at a restaurant, and 
We went to a black restaurant. First, we went to a white restaurant. Service was terrible. White woman messed the service up. Person I was with, like, don't worry about it. You know, we all have rough days. I know I'm having a rough day, Becky. You know how Becky gets. She gets absent-minded, dizzy. You know, oh, don't worry about it, sister Joe. Don't worry about it. We all have bad days. <laughs> Go to a black restaurant maybe a month or so later. Sister having a bad day. Service wasn't the best. First thing come out of the person's mouth, I'm with. That's why I don't shop with niggas. That's why I don't buy from black. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, sister. When we was at the white restaurant, and Becky did the same thing, it was all laughs and smiles and don't worry about it. We all had bad days. First time this sister's having an off day, whom you should be able to identify and relate with. You know what it is. She, she got to get back. She's working late. The babysitter probably blowing up a damn phone. She don't got enough money for the babysitter. What's she going to feed the baby? What her man's doing? Do she got raped? She's having an off day. Whom you should relate with. And the first thing you're all about, that's why you don't shop the niggas. The problem's not with anyone else. The problem lies within ourselves. And the revolutionary must not be one who judges and condemns without first Assessing the situation and only judging from a place of compassion, realizing that I am you and you are me. I am you and you are me. So I'm going to make that much more, or that many more allowances, asking for the black hooker brother up. Hook a brother up. You don't go to anybody else and ask to hook you up. I've seen you in their stores. You buy something in that stores, you don't ask for a hookup. You know what you tell them? Keep the change. It's only five cents. Keep the change. Why you elect this hook nose? Alabama, Kabisi, Kabasha, have the change and ask a brother or sister to hook you up. The problem is our neo-colonialist mentality. It's the end game. A sense of self-worth, a sense of obligation to our ancestors who never gave up on us, who ensured that through that they knew that if they gave up, that generations and generations upon generations would be lost, hopeless, to despair, to nothingness, away in the oblivion. Of, of of complete annihilation. And this is what we're in threat of now. Believe me when I tell you, and you've heard me say this, brothers and sisters, they will never destroy the black man or woman. Anywhere we drop one ounce of our seed, we propagate and continue. But they will be able to destroy the African man or woman on destroying our African culture. How do a people propagate and keep going? They keep going because their culture is lived on. This European has ensured its continuation through Negroes emulating and assimilating his ways. Some of you niggas are better white men than the white men. Some of you sisters are more white women than white women. Your hair are blonder. Your eyes are damn blue. I see you out there looking like a damn clown. But I'm not mad at you. 
I'm not mad at you because nature only makes people evolve for survival, and you are evolving and adapting to what you have been shown as the strongest species. So psychologically, you start to adapt from that. You've been taught that that's the most beautiful, or that's the highest standard of beauty a woman can have. And not just from white women, from your sisters have perpetrated this lie to you. These Nicki Minajes and all the rest of these women who get black and blonde hair and blue contacts and everything else to look as as, as much European or as close to European as they part are cockatoid. In that whole cockatoid uh, aspect. Where you got mongoloid, the Asians, cockatoid, and negroid. So the whole cockatoid type of thing. So when you have prominent black women emulating and assimilating the oppressor, I can only imagine what image this sends to young girls. And these sisters only get with the most clownish, buffoonish-looking Negroes that uh, society has produced. These rappers are ugly as hell. They're ugly. I've never seen such a man. These Negroes scare me when I turn on the TV. The biggest clowns with the loudest talk, beautiful black men. Beautiful black men. The loudest buffoonish colors and clowning and jumping around in it, pouncing. That you've ever seen. And we ask, how can we have an end game? How can I feel confident about the direction that we're going in? And this is not a knock on our youth. I love the fact that our young people express themselves, and I encourage that. We have a responsibility to say that your expression, that how you express yourself, that the direction you're going in and the things you're doing have to be for the advancement of us as African people. You don't have a choice. You have an obligation. A responsibility. Every people put on their youth the knowledge that they have a responsibility to their lineage, to their ancestors. The eleven I go to down here on the corner. There's a young man that's in that Seven Eleven from the mornings I go in there to night. He must be in college. Because I see him sometimes sitting with his head in a book. From 8 in the morning, sometimes to 11 at night, in his books and serving customers. I asked him. I went to him. I said, your parents must own this place. He said, yes. Yes. How did I know that? Because you're in here not only getting your schoolwork, but running the store. Sacrificing. Your personal time. He looks to be in his early 20s. We get a store. Our children, if we can get our children in there for two or three hours, them niggas will want a ball on the residual from the store. Can we get our children? How many of us can get our children to sit with us and to learn tales? Some of us can. I got some people on the phone that I've seen them. But get our young people to sit and learn and listen about the ways of the ancestors. Our way 
and to start to develop not only that time, but that sense of obligation and responsibility. This is of the utmost importance. This is why we, the People's Black Panther Party, I say, is a people's movement. Militia, a real party. With one of our departments being a cultural department. A department that is there to foster a culture of cohesiveness, of unity, of empowerment, of dignity, of pride, of integrity. Society that not only will act as a defense mechanism from the onslaught of damage that is perpetrated against us as a people. This is not by design, brothers, I mean by uh, accident, brothers and sisters. The television program, the uh, distributors, see, we, we talk about record labels, but it's the distributors encourage the type of music that is out. The movie that paint us is such a view. We don't even control our own image. Why you can't even get up there and talk about you can't get up there and talk about a Jewish person any kind of way. They'll hit you with all type of anti Semitism charges. They'll scream and rally and not do her. But we allow our image to be maligned and drunk through the mud, distorted, dehumanized, demonized, paint in the worst light possible without any cry for justice, any cry saying that this is not an accurate portrayal of black life, black home life, black relationships. African interaction in our community. This is not an accurate portrayal. This is sensationalism. It's hype. Like Chief says, our minister culture, whom I'm about to open his mic up for, when he does the numbers on the actual depths of Chicago as it relates to the population, how it's disproportionate, how the media makes it sound like a nigga's dying every minute. But when you look at the statistics realistically, it's not the way that they portray it. Thanks for such a your microphone. Yeah, brother. Yeah, you you you're on fire today, uh, brother chairman, brother national chairman. Sir, I said you you on fire. You definitely uh, speaking the truth. You know, you definitely, and I'm very proud of uh, you. I watched you grow over over the years and develop. Into a dynamic uh, organizer, dynamic leader, you know, um, you know, just a, a well-rounded brother, and a, a really a council of men, you know, that that can take these young men and sit them down, understand the problems and what they go through. So I just want to commend you. I don't think you have a better man for the job for national chairman than yourself, you know, and uh, I applaud you. But what I what I want to say is that when we what we have is a lack of African identity. 
you know, knowing who we are. When, when you buy a a uh, Samsung or uh, you know top of the line flat screen TV, it's designed to work a certain way. So you can't take a, a Sony remote control and and make that Sony remote control work for a Samsung television. You know, or you can't take that Samsung remote control and it takes triple-A batteries and the Sony takes double-A batteries and put the wrong batteries in the wrong remote control. It's not going to work. Well, it's the same thing with African people. We're not designed to think like European people. We don't, uh, we're not designed to function as European people. And therefore, we're trying to be white. With a black with black skin, you're trying to do everything they do. You want to be just like them. Your idea of a society is, you know, the perfect white society. Although you hate white people, but you love, you know, you love white people. You love what they do. You love what they stand for. And I give you a prime example. Of what I'm saying is that go get their degree, go get their power high deep degree. They respect these individuals more than. They respect, say, a brother like myself or you, who had not been educated by the white man, been educated with an African, uh, with an African education, African education. They don't respect us as much. And, I, and there's no no disrespect to my brother Omar Johnson, but if you look at the, my brother, you know, it's like he can't be criticized about having a, a solid plan to produce a school. And we want a school where we can start something small and then build up. In Atlanta, if you look at, uh, I, you know, the attorney uh, Molly Mel Davis, and it's not, this is not the new black, it's not the, I'm sorry, People's Black Panther Party speaking, it's Chief Kamara speaking. They were duped last year and going to an all-white county to protest about a white baby who got firebombed. And they went out there and protest. Not only did they protest, they raised money for this white baby. And when and when the white baby was firebombed and, and I mean uh, flat the flashbang burnt the white baby, which is a tragedy. No one wants to see no baby injured or hurt. You know what I'm saying? But it ain't our fight. If it's a, it was a half white and half Asian baby, let Connie Chung, let uh, Jackie Chan. You see what I'm saying? Let let them fight for the Asians and let the white man fight for the white man. Let the black man fight for himself. Let the white man fight for himself. We don't need Connie Cochran for white people. And they and they went out and protested and raised money for white baby. These Negroes put an ad on the radio for this event. The agenda was to get a big pay. This cracker this cracker woman didn't find the attorney and you know one of uh, the members of Al Sharpton's organization. She didn't look for them. They weren't looking for her, and they used you. I mean, use the black community to go out there and protest and raise money for this white woman. And then they got a $3 million payday, and where's the black community at? And here, here, here so you trust these Negroes that have been educated by white people. Anytime a Negro has a white man's education and is not balancing out with an African-centered education, you, you're in trouble. You're, you're in trouble. And he does not value the African-centered education more than the Ph.D. he got from the cracker, you in big trouble. And that's part of the problem we have, that these Negroes have been allowed to speak for us. The pastors who got their, 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 you know, their, uh, their seminary degree, you know, a cemetery degree, 
They speak for black people. As you saw in the movie Nat Turner, the white man trusted him because they want him to teach the gospel the way he, they want him to teach the gospel and be good servants and good Negroes to your master. And that's what these attorneys do. That's what these lawyers do. So we're getting, we're getting hoodwinked, bamboozled, like Malcolm X said, run amok, run astray by Negroes who have achieved success in the white man's land. And that's part of the problem. We have to begin to get African centered. These same Negroes, I'm in, I'm in Chicago now, told me that uh, they, they, they fixed it. So-called black senators He had gave me my um, My community service Through him I completed the community service Got a letter from his office But the probation officer wanted, wanted me so bad They told me look Tell that chief Kamara nigga That he didn't do the community service And make that nigga put on some regular clothes And I told him I'll be damned If I put on white man's clothes I'll be damned Because if you say you're African you should examine some African identity. If I take a right now, and uh, you say you're African Senate, you know, black power, all power to the people, or assalamu alaikum, or, you know, all that. You got, you may have an African name or whatever. And I look at you, and you just got on the T-shirt and a pair of jeans. I'm not knocking this. You know what I'm saying? And I pull up a white man named Steve. Steve. So shouldn't you at some point, I know you can't be like your brother Chief Kamar every day wear African clothes. If I have to go to Dollar General and get me a needle and thread, I'd rather sew them motherfuckers up than put on some white man clothes. Excuse my language. I, that's, just, that's, that's me. But at least at some, some of your wardrobe should identify African identity. So maybe just on Saturdays and Sundays, you could put on your African clothes. You got to be like the white man every day. See, that's my problem. Kenny, this is why I say politicians who hope they think they can change the policy of the white man. I mean, he's just going, you know, you're not even a reasonable person. I wouldn't even want to work with anybody like you. Supposed to be such, so, so strong, Cynthia McKinney. That's what she told me. And said she wouldn't work with me because I didn't seem reasonable because I said, you crackers are robbing us of our names, our language, our culture. Our religion, our God, our folkways, mores, and norm, and I'm coming back, goddammit. I came back, and I'm ready to fight this cracker. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not going to wear European clothes. And she says I wasn't reasonable. So you see what I'm saying? So, you know, we have to begin to understand separation is the only solution. In between time, listen to our brother, national chairman, because we need to get involved in the policies, you see what I'm saying, and procedures of the local government, the local sheriff, because a lot of us are locked up. You got, if you've got a, a sheriff that is politicized with an African-centered education, he can make our stay in the belly of the beast a lot easier. If you have black prosecutors, they can, they can you know, work with us and don't have to fraud. You have, you know, black mayors and black police chiefs, you know, who, can, who have an African-centered education, you politicize, that, that can make things better for us. But only, all it does is really pacify us to a certain degree. And sometimes, uh-huh. I'm wrapping it up, some point when you're pacified, you know what I'm saying, that, that just weans you a little bit. You've got to actually take the breast and put it in your mouth and get some of that good milk. And the good milk is Mother Africa, and the good milk is separation from this no good blonde hair, blue eyed hook nose, buttermilk complexion, goddamn cracker. That's the only solution. Thank you, brother Chairman. I'm sorry if I was a little long one. 
No, brother, man, tell your time. We're coming in the last couple minutes, and I just want to get this caller. We appreciate your input. I, I definitely appreciate your input, and I know the listeners appreciate that input. Derek, and you're listening to the People's Black Panther Party. Uh, People's Voice, man, talk radio, an opportunity for you to express your opinions, your views, to share with us, to talk to. I got my, some national officers on the line, uh, and to give you an opportunity to speak with them and to hear where they're coming from. Let's go to 562. 7423 562 
So we see everyone starting to, everyone's list, which is cool. Well, with these last eight minutes, I'm going to encourage us to do just that. Like I said, our whole, our whole thing being objective number one in the nine local objectives, which is to build a strong black power movement, a movement consists of other organizations, other people's art, literature, uh, music, everything that is about the advancement and empowerment of black people. We're, we're, we're pushing and strongly, strongly trying to enact objective number one. So I would encourage everyone to go out, participate in some type of organization, meeting, function, do something. Hell, go, go, yo, it's getting close to Thanksgiving. If you're not part of an organization or organization not going on, find that organization that is passing out. I know in Atlanta it's Jose Williams, Feed the Homeless. Go somewhere and help serve Thanksgiving trade. Do some service. Let's let the month of November, brothers and sisters listening, and the people, you know what? The People's Black Panther Party is going to push it. The month of November is going to be service month. It's going to be service month. Go out and service your community. If you're barbers, for my brothers and sisters that are barbers, go to the homeless shelter. Cut some hair. If you're a musician, go to the battered woman shelter. Do some hair. Go do a makeup for our ministers. Let's go to these shelters and go to these places. Let's pray for them. Hold a service. Whether you're calling on Allah, Christ, oh, cause yeah, there's homeless Muslims. There's homeless Christians. There's homeless uh, people that adhere to African traditional religion. Don't get, don't get disillusioned by this thing. It's real. Poverty, homelessness, hunger is not a discriminator against person, religion, or color. Sex, any of that. Everyone can be, can be, can, 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 is subjugated to it. So let's go to these places and let's volunteer our service. Let's get out there and be proactive, not reactive. Let's stop running behind gunshot victims and murder victims. I'm not let's say let's complete it entirely. Let's stop doing it entirely. I always bring acknowledgement and awareness to it. But let's be proactive. Let's donate. Let's get some things done. So that's my challenge coming from, you know, coming from the chairman. The next radio program, I'd love to hear some people that have some stories on how they did contribute to the community, how they did make some things happen. I would love to hear it. Brothers and sisters, we're lining, line, winding down to our last minute, and i love to end with our pledge because this is the pledge that we use at our central meeting, the pledge that we as the People's Black Panther Party live by. It's a pledge from what some call the original party, and it's passed down to us and taken, and I try to live by it. I believe in it, and that's why I love to share it. So with that, I'm going to uh, start to close off, and I'll close off with our pledge. I pledge allegiance to my African people. I pledge to develop my mind and body to the greatest extent possible. I will learn all that I can in order to give my give my best to my people in their struggle for liberation. I will keep myself physically fit, building a strong body free from drugs and other substances which weaken me and make me less capable of protecting myself, my family, and my black brothers and sisters. 
I will unselfishly share my knowledge and understanding with them in order to bring about change more quickly. I will discipline myself to direct my energies thoughtfully and constructively rather than wasting them in idle hatred. I will turn myself, I will train myself never to hurt or allow others to harm my black brothers and sisters, for I recognize that we need every black man, woman, and child to be physically, mentally, and psychologically strong. These principles I plan to practice daily and to teach them to others in order to unite my people. With that, brothers and sisters, I close. It's your national chairman, Brother Yangin Krumah, leaving you with the way that I found you, and that's all power to an oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power.